Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of CJ and the Duke. As always, I am your host, Robert the Duke Fedoric. And I am Corey, CJ Wesley. This episode is brought to you by DotWalk.io. DotWalk.io takes out all the hardest parts of implementing awesome ServiceNow ATF use cases by populating those use cases for you. Be sure to check the description below to find out how to contact them. All right, Corey, what are we talking about today? Oh man, we're going to talk about something really, really cool. Well, we're talking about when doomsday strikes, right? Like, that's the name of our Trello card on this one. But I really like the, the imagery that kind of conjures up when I think about that in context with ServiceNow. What happens when you have exhausted all things possible and the only option left is to rebuild your instance? Yep. It's the, the one project you never want to be a part of, but all the best architects should be a part of, at least one. Absolutely. You're extremely lucky. If you've managed to be in the ServiceNow ecosystem for 10 years without actually doing a, a re-architecture of an existing instance, right? Like, I mean, yeah. we all know, like, you know, in the early days of ServiceNow and uh, Accelerator Hell, they kind of populated that landscape back in the day, yeah. right? And how ultimately, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the clients uh, that purchased those accelerators may or may not have had second thoughts after yeah. a year or two. Well, it was... It was such a new idea too. Well, I mean, maybe it isn't so new. I think the Lotus Notes did a lot of what ServiceNow did, spiritually at least, right? Sure. Back yeah. in the early day. But I think IT got this beautiful tool and everybody else was ready for a retool outside IT. And it was just like, go fast. And I mean, we were all kids back then, most of us, <laughs> right? And it was just bright eye, bushy tailed. Yeah, let's build it. Yeah, let's go. And uh, no thought to how we would build or whether what we were building was the best way to build it because not a lot of data had been accumulated by then about how to build good stuff on service. Now, anyway, I'm waxing nostalgic here. So my credibility on this comes from uh, a place I worked at where back in 2013. And when I got there, they had already been a ServiceNow customer for four years. And their whole philosophy was if somebody asks you to build something, you build it exactly how they've asked you to, and you have no business asking them why it should be that way or, or telling them a better way. Oh man, that's gotta be fun. Yeah. What about you, Corey? So my experience comes from uh, a different place. Um, the, the the client in this case recognized that they had, they designed themselves into a corner. Mm -hmm. um, this was a domain separated instance. And no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was fairly complex, right? And in, in fairness, right? Like it, it did what they needed to, to, it to do, but they saw a lot of growth on the horizon and they knew that it was incapable of keeping up with that growth. And one of the things is just a limitation to the way the service now does the main separation. And, you know, it's, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a knock on the system, right? I mean, it's fairly logical. It's just that the way that this uh, customer's company was set up yeah. was not set up to mirror that. So ServiceNow does a parent-child kind of relationship around domain step. This particular client was really set up more to do a um, kind of all over the place. It was some parent-child relationships. There were some sibling relationships. There were some encapsulated parent-child relationships with borders, right? Needless to say, all of that kind of... Um, caused like some some major um stress testing on the instance and eventually they decided hey let's rebuild this thing and do it 
with our future in mind. So Corey and I thought we would hash out some of our experiences and put to record some of the practices, high level or low level, that might get you through a re-architecture faster than us learning the hard way. And as we were planning this out, we got into an argument, (laughs) (laughs) which we're going to continue on this platform. So Corey says, well, Corey, what do you say? So I think you have to plan first. From my perspective, especially when you're doing an instance re-architecture, right? Like the first thing you need to do is start all the way over. And that means going all the way back to the drawing board, walking around with your BA hat on, identifying mm-hmm. all your stakeholders and figuring out what they need, where they, where you can drive value. And so maybe, Duke says- Yeah, okay. maybe I misunderstood you because I say plan second. And the reason I said plan second is you might not know who's playing on the instance. So there's a certain amount of reconnaissance that you have to do on the instance and then getting those stakeholders lined up to talk to. But I feel like you can't really plan how the re-architecture is going to go until you've had to sit down with each of those stakeholders because you don't know what you're in for. Back in that 2013 place, you know, I thought ServiceNow was just being used for IT. Wrong. (laughs) (laughs) IT only accounted for like 25% of the task traffic. 75% of the task traffic was coming out of like a financial shared services center. Like think CSM before there was a CSM, like interfacing with direct customers of the business. Nice. Um, Yeah. And so it was like, it buggered the imagination. Instantly, the thing went from, oh, maybe we could do this in three months to, yeah, it's going to take like a year. Because right over here, someplace I didn't even know yesterday, they've got like 12 custom apps. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, the planning, at least when I think about planning, I think I have a gross idea of who the players are and what it would take for each. That's to me is when I would start planning. So that's step two for me. Yeah. So I, I see what you're saying there. Like, I, so I'm not necessarily advocating that, hey, we need to, you know, get the project plan out and start doing that right away before we know what's on the instance. But I'm also not necessarily saying that we should go and talk to everyone who has a hand in the instance either, because I kind of feel like that gets us and that's what got us into trouble to start with. Right. Yeah. Too many cooks in the kitchen. So what I'm saying a little bit more of let's identify who's our primary stakeholder and what the, and the value that they're going to um, receive from this. And then kind of go down the line from there, but stopping at a certain point, right? Like, I don't necessarily care if you're, if what you're doing represents like 0.5% of the instance, maybe you just got to wait to phase two, right? Like right now, you know, what I want to do is I want to get the big folks who mostly use the system and represent more of, of our time and effort and get them on board and figure out what they actually need and then design something that is, yeah. you know, good art that, um, adheres to best practices, right? And being able to present that and then, you know, starting to onboard all those other folks. But, you know, they're, they're, to me, they're, and I hate to say it this way, but you got your first class in, uh, first class enterprise uh, citizens and your second class enterprise citizens, right? It really depends on political clout inside the organization yeah. and, you know, money and all that kind of stuff, right? So you just want to identify the folks who can actually, one, either get you support or two, be roadblocks. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think you can make that decision on your own either. That's like a higher pay grade decision. I have two examples of that. And actually we're in the second point of the whole episode here, (laughs) which is roadblocks. The first thing you'll understand about a re-architecture is not everybody thinks that you need one. (laughs) Yeah. Agreed. Especially the wider you go. Like maybe if you're maybe just using ITSM, you can get everybody to say, yeah, it's time. 
yeah, we shouldn't have done those things and now it's time. But if right. you go wide and you start doing all kinds of different process areas, guaranteed there are people that are as happy as a pig in mud or something uh, <laughs> <laughs> to do what they're doing on service now. And they don't want any interruptions or because re-architecting scary, right? It's just, you're going to rebuild this thing underneath us. I don't think so. Where the hell was I going with this? Ah, yeah, but, yeah. but, but I mean, a good point, right though, because some of these folks, have you are using service now for fairly simple processes right i mean it added a ton of value but it's a fairly simple process sometimes it's just a record producer that's nested in a service catalog that you know that creates a record in somebody's queue who then actions it right and you got reporting right. against it like or as simple as it comes or it's complex but just very well designed and deployed unlike right. the rest of the instance <laughs> Right. <laughs> That's not a comfortable conversation to have. <laughs> it took us months to do this right. What do you mean we're going to rebuild it? Right, oh, exactly. Brutal. <laughs> okay, so this is kind of like meshing points one and two. Like the stakeholders have become the roadblocks and some people may have to like wait. Some people might have to move even off the instance or move yeah. temporarily. And you don't like, I don't think anybody listening to this podcast is in the seat that gets to make that decision. When I was doing my re-architecture, we had like site security incidents, like somebody got beat up on site or somebody right. like like vandalized something or whatever, just like police type stuff. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was very highly politically important. And, you know, it was funny. We sat down with them and they're like, nah, you know, we can use SharePoint. It's no big deal. And um and we took that off the docket. We weren't going to rebuild that. They, and they were just going to be satisfied with a simpler solution off platform. Okay. But then we had our change manager who was basically like the whole way through was not coming. <laughs> not, coming <laughs> not coming with us. And at some point, the person I spoke to was like, she said, how many days do you think it's going to take to convince him? Because we're like weeks away from go live. And I was like, I don't know. And they're like, she's like, okay, I'll go his boss and tell him to get fired. What? You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> nice. luckily, luckily, he came around, but it was just, you know, you never, <laughs> you never know who's got the clout and who doesn't. So true. Put that, like, once you have your stakeholder inventory done, be sure to put that on the same table with your handlers saying, which of these are, sac what, which of these can be sacrificed? Who can be told, no, you're telling the line, deal with it. And who needs to be massaged into that position? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, right? And, that, and this is no different than any kind of conversation that you're going to have inside of an enterprise, right? Like, it's all politics. Everything's politics. Anybody who didn't tell you that it was politics before you took the job lied to you, right? Like, there's politics everywhere. I worked at a really small, really, really when I'm talking small, like, all of us fit in the same room, small consulting firm, right? And the, the, the level of politics that went on in that place, man, far exceeded anything in like a multi-billion multi dollar business that I worked at. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whenever someone tells you, oh, that's, we don't really have a political environment here, know that it's probably worse than you thought. Um, but to, to the Duke's point, you never know who has what, and, and you need to make it your um, number one goal to, fi to find that out, because that's going to dictate, right, like what modules that you can bring on to the new um, instance of your um, of service now that you're building and what cannot. And so, you know, yeah. make sure you know the lay of the land. So another thing that's going to help you it with, with the roadblock people, like it's, there's going to be, there's going to be hard nose, but there's also going to be soft nose and, and there's going to be a lot more of the latter than the former. So to get through the soft nose, you've got to articulate, like really articulate why we're doing this in the first place. Like, Absolutely. And, and then even after that, it's double the work because what's in it for them? 
yes. the stakeholders. Yes. What I sold it on was that the thing had been overconfigured everywhere. And even though it was workable, I couldn't get anything done for anybody beyond that point. Like when it right. was taking me literally a 40 hour week to add a group to the system, like, sorry, I don't care how important your improvements are. It's just, it takes too long to do everything. Yeah. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And in my scenario, um, I was actually brought in by the client to specifically to re-architect because they saw the future and they saw, you know, how they were growing internally and how the architecture that they had on this instance didn't necessarily match where they saw the, the way that they saw their um, organization being built out. And because of that, they wanted to redesign it and, and make it, you know, make it work in a, in a way to, to be future-proof for them. This happened to be in a way that was a bit different than ServiceNow is configured out of the box. So this became a re-architecture with a lot of customization, um, but it was done in the best practice way. Yeah. You know, I didn't plan to talk about this either, but can I just add one point in here? Yeah. Um, an ounce of prevention is really worth a pound of cure, or in this case, a ton of cure. Preach. Um, because like, especially now that it's wide. Well, I did this in 2013 and still like HR was brand new. It was basically ITSM and custom apps, right? Right. But today, man, I can't imagine the difficulty. Like, let's say it was just, I was lucky in that when I did it, everything was screwy. <laughs> like there, <laughs> there was nothing that was untainted by the, the disaster that had blown up on the instance. But what if you're like two out of five of the processes are tanked and three out of five of them are working just fine. You could get the big prodigious digit FU award, <laughs> kick rocks. We don't care how bad your life is. We're doing fine. We got the money. Thanks. Bye. Right. So it's, it's even more important than ever not to get yourself into the position of a full re-architecture as much as you can do good practices. And if not, see if you can get like many re-architectures in on the way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. Like, I mean, the idea of doomsday, right, is avoiding it to start, yeah. <laughs> you know, so you want to do everything in your power to avoid getting to this scenario where you need to drop this grenade and vape everything and start all over again. But you know, when you do get there, if you do get there, right. And especially if you get there now, huh? like, you know, God help you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, at that point I might just order up a whole new service now instance and say, okay, um, we're starting from scratch. We're going to run these things in parallel and then eventually we're going to turn one off. <laughs> you know, I haven't looked at it in a while and we got to get Michael Barr on the show to talk about this. Because he talks about this a lot, but is there still not a button where you could just say, okay, nuke incident management and start over, but just incident management, right? Like, yeah, I don't know how that would work because I don't know how, like where it could detect dependencies on other apps, but that would be so handy to just say, okay, we did incident problem in CMDB, right? But our change control process is a monster. Let's just start over with that. You know what I mean? That's yeah, no, let's just take this module back to basics, right? Like just take yeah. it back to out of the box and then we'll reconfigure it. That, I mean, that's, I don't know, man, that's, that's a million dollar idea the, right it there. It might, you know, it might, <laughs> right. it might exist. Like what were we talking about? It's like impossible to keep up with service now, right now, right? Yeah, true. It might truly exist. All right. What other stuff did you have to contend with? Like just things that you didn't see coming or things that you maybe saw coming that just took way longer to uh, get through than you thought. Data, data, data. <laughs> like data is the one thing that that was the something we thought we accounted for appropriately. But every time we thought we had, you know, we checked the 100 percent box, 
you know, we got that Windows 99% loading screen and it, you know, and it just kept going. Um, so, you, you know, it, it took us a while to nail down all the data uh, because this was a um, an architecture that it wasn't driven by the fact that the the instance itself was out of whack, right? That we had a ton of, you know, bad apps and, and, and processes built on it and things like that. It was driven, you know, to be re-engineered, to be more future-proof, mm-hmm. right? So the data that they had was useful and they wanted to keep. Right. They largely just they largely didn't want to know that they had done a re-architecture, except for the fact that as they grew, they knew that their onboarding process for these new companies and domains and, you know, sub departments would be it would be easy for them to onboard them into their instance and in a domain separated way. There's a lot of domain separated data in service now that you got to you know keep your eye on when you're doing like something around domain set. But even if you're not doing domain set, right, like just trying to figure out how you. How do you decide what's what you're keeping and how do you export it and then import it back? And what can you change? What do you have to change? Right. And how can you change it? I mean, this dude, I've hacked XML, you know, files offline before in yeah. order to make, you know, things work appropriately. And it was a, a bit of work, but it also saved me like eight times the amount of work that I, that I spent, you know, finding replaces on like a two gig knowledge XML dump. Right. 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 We talked about this on the M&A episode. What do you keep? And yeah. to some extent, like you can't keep everything because to keep everything means that you have to keep the same design in place. Right. Right. Like if it's just like, I want all my incidents migrated over. Okay. Well, we had like 14 different layers of categories on that incident form. Are we keeping that? Yeah. So, okay, yeah. so we have to build those fields over again. If you're not careful, you can basically just paint <laughs> yourself right back into that corner. <laughs> you know, and can, can, let me interject here too, right? Because that process sounds a whole lot like the process of migrating from one ITSM tool to another one. Yes. Right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we've already been doing things this way and we'd like it. We're going to go to this new system to do things the same way, but better. And it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's funny, like the people you pitch it to and will push it through procurement aren't the same people you're talking to on the deployment. So the the people who bought it are like, oh man, finally we can get rid of all those old paradigms. And the people right. you're talking to are like, oh yeah, we're keeping those paradigms. Keeping all of them. Yeah, because we had it before. Having it before isn't a virtue, right? <laughs> it's not a virtue. I mean, it might be that you need it. It might be that that was the well-designed part. But just right. because you had it before means nothing, nothing. No, absolutely not. And, you know, having it before, like you said, having it before is probably more reason for why you should investigate whether or not you want to continue to have it. And so this is another area, and we talked about it on MNAs. This is an area where you want to talk to your legal department. Because absolutely. especially if you're doing stuff with external people, like how long do we have to keep record that we did this thing? I mean, PA doesn't even keep its scores like beyond a year or two, right? So like, why would you keep your ticket data from three years ago? I was like, well, you know, you might need that at some point, um, right? Probably not. You know, I've never looked back that far. Yeah, no, neither have I. Personally. Anyways, get legal department in. So then they could, they could almost like fuel your, I think people are just naturally scared of dumping anything. Yes. But if you have legal say, no, look, we don't need to track anything after a year. That's just a feather in your cap. No, legal said this. So we're, we're okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, and legal has really good reasons for setting those, those guidelines too, because mm-hmm. you want to minimize the exposure to the company. You know, so I've worked in IT in the, in the past life. And, you know, part of the things that happen when you work in a multinational company or a big company, or even just mostly any company, right, is you get sued. 
<laughs> and and right. then you know depending on how far that um that lawsuit goes you know there's a there's a stage called discovery and discovery means subpoenas and you have to produce everything that you have where the key thing to know here is that if you don't have it you can't produce it you know, so there's a there's a key reason that legal thinks about, you know, what you can have and for how long. Yeah, it's funny. Just games within games, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Other things that we went through, or at least I went through on re-architectures that took me way longer than I thought is the knowledge base. That is oh. a beast to, to is a beast. do stuff with. I mean, because it can have image data, it can have attachments, yeah. and yep. attachments aren't, that's not a walk in the park to import export right nope so again if you are ever in a re-architecture re do yourself a favor and start asking questions about knowledge base how much of this are we keeping do we want to just scratch and start over like what do you want to do and start looking into the the mechanical effort of transferring it yeah and, and you know let's talk about too like how service now is a relational database right and you know how that's really really cool except that when it's not and yeah. when it's not, is that because it takes like 10 tables, right, to form a, a, a one knowledge base article. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's great, you know, in some contexts, it's not so great when you got to reconstruct that thing. Yes. <laughs> Think about that stuff, right? Like when you're migrating data, because you, the, what you see as one object or one item is likely almost certainly comprised or stretches across multiple tables. And you start, you import that one KB underscore knowledge table and you think you're good and you're going to see a whole lot of stuff missing. Uh, yeah. Another one for me was service catalog because everybody had, well, I'm, mostly in my re-architecture, there wasn't much of a service catalog because everybody had their crap in incident categories and subcategories and <laughs> that just ridiculous seven tier hierarchy of the category tree. Um, but Dude, and we, as soon as we, been, I was saying, we've been friends for a long time and I never get tired of hearing these stories. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that change one was the worst, but yeah, like th this idea that there's, I've got so many categories, but we showed them catalog and people are like, holy cow, this is awesome. But like, we very quickly realized like, gosh, we could add like a hundred catalog items or more to the deployment. And those aren't, I'm not talking like simple stuff. I'm talking like each of those could probably take two or three days right. to fully model, run them past the stakeholder, ver verify that they're correct and go. Like that's instantly 200 days to the, <laughs> to the project. Like that's not yeah. the surprise you want to have. But one thing I did learn was we made a, a catalog item template, something we could hand to the customer and they would fill out. And then we'd have enough ammunition that we could just hand that to the lowest bidder catalog builder. And we spent, it was so important, we spent almost a week developing the catalog intake form. And it was paper, right? We just handed it to people and they filled it out and, and it sucked. But that's how we fully articulated our catalog items and built them fast because we didn't have to ask any questions once we got that document. Yeah, no, I, that makes sense, right? Like that kind of, you know, brings us, you know, on a tangent, you know, kind of close, right, to our next point, which is really talking about good governing practices, right? And to me, that one is maybe more of a, a good implementation practice, but, it, you know, a little bit on the government governance side, too, because you had to set that up before you actually went down that road of this is how yeah. we're going to create these catalog items. Yeah. Right? And, you know, had you not taken that step back and thought about that from a holistic process perspective and governing the instance, right? Like that's 200 extra days on that project that you don't get back. Yeah. Yep. 
And I'll tell you what, I guess this bleeds really well into our next point, setting up good practices. Like this is the, the silver lining to a re-architecture cloud is that you can you can now set up things the way they always should have been, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. What, kind of, what kind of documents and standards should you think about having? On top of the catalog intake form, I have this thing called an ingress document. And that tells me all the ways processes start in ServiceNow. Nice. So it could like one ingress could be the incident form. All the catalog items are their separate ingress. Every integration is its separate ingress to the system. And then you track it. Like I track it in Excel, you know, shoot me, but I track it in Excel (laughs) and then I track like who owns it. And then if it like, if bad stuff happens, if I got hit by a bus, somebody just hands over the ingress document to the next in line, the pretender to the throne. (laughs) (laughs) And they know, okay, all these catalog items are owned by these people. These integrations support these processes. And we'd never, we're never have a question mark of how did that get in the system? I mean, so it didn't ServiceNow just actually re- release like a, a really good module to do this stuff in ServiceNow so that you don't have to do it in Excel now? I forget the name of it. Was it in Paris? It's called Process. What's the name of the thing? Yeah, I think there's like a process workflow thing, but I don't think yeah. it doubles as the ingress. I gotcha. think it's just a, I think it's just a meta workflow. Gotcha. Um, okay. So never mind on that then. Yeah. But you know, I think this ingress document I think is really cool, and I, I think I can see uh you know custom app Duke where where that kind of data gets stored in in the actual instance somewhere. Yeah, it's you know? one of the things I want to put on share. But it's just I think where I'm stuck is I, I'd love for it to be smart. Like it could it could pre-populate the catalog items. It could pre-populate the processes with forms. What I'd love for it to do is say, oh, here's three integrations. Right. Right. And then all you have to do is fill in who owns it. Why does it exist? Any administrative notes? Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. And But yeah. that's just one document. It, it should it should go without say, saying that by now in your architectural career, you should have like a development standards doc. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, I mean, there's no way that you shouldn't have standards on how you create an update set. You know, what goes into an update set? Mm-hmm. When when can you push? How do you write your code? How is it documented? You know, yep. um, how do you, um, what kind of variables yeah. do you- How is it documented, right? How right. is it documented? Not if it's going to be documented. How right. is it documented? <laughs> <laughs> right. No, and that bears that bears repeating, right? Like yeah. how is it documented is is absolute truth, right? Because at this point, if you're not documenting your code, right, you're doing your future self a huge disservice. Because yep. let me tell you, like when I go back and look at code that I wrote like two weeks ago, man, if I don't have those comments, it's just, mm-hmm. like what was I trying to do? Yep. And especially if you come across this novel solution to something that you maybe thought was simple, it turned out it wasn't. And you come back and you view that code and it's like six functions deep and you're looping through arrays and creating objects and destroying them at the same time. Like you could uh-huh. do all of that stuff. And you're like, what the heck was I doing? Yeah. Why did it need to be that hard? I think is a great, you know what I yes. mean? You lose that over time. It's just like, this is super complex and it, you kind of lose why it had to be over time. Yeah, no. And and, and that's, a, that's incredibly important, right? Because if you come back to that thing in a year, and you look at that and like, so you got a year's, a year's worth of um, experience added to you. You look mm-hmm. at this, you're like, man, this is horrible. I knew I could build this better. Now you've spent a week or two trying to rebuild this thing in a simpler fashion. And you get to the point where, oh, that's why it's built like this. You just lost a week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are good practices or documents would you put? So around the CMDB, right? Like I love saying this and I'll continue to say this, right? The CMDB starts offline. 
right? The CMDB, you, you, your data is going to exist inside a service now, but the governance for CMDB is an offline process, mm. right? And and that's something you need to establish before you start even thinking about the data that's going going into the into the instances. As a matter of fact, as you go through the establishment of governance practices for your CMDB, you will start to identify the, the data that goes into your instance, right? And you all you will identify the people who are responsible for it. And you'll identify the processes that your data, you know, under which your data can be modified or updated or, or things can be added. And by having all of that, you'll make sure that your data stays accurate over time. And that's what a CMDB is. It is accurate data over time. It is not accurate data at the point of inception and old fucking well, you know, <laughs> after that. <laughs> huh. Yeah, I guess that would be true of basically every process, right? Yeah, but it's one that is often overlooked with the CMDB yeah. because of discovery, right? So magical service now discovery. Turn that sucker on, you point it yeah, at an IP range, yeah. and all of a sudden, whoosh, right? Like, you know, you probably have never heard that whoosh, but I've done so many discovery projects. <laughs> I've heard the whoosh of data being ingested into the service now instance. I just and had that, to, go ahead, go ahead. No. And that whoosh, right, is the client going, oh, my God, we got a CMDB. And me going, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> Eight million records. We got to have a CMDB now. Right? I just, I just had the most crazy aha moment after, like, years and years of doing this. It's like CMDB seems to be the one process area that a ServiceNow architect really has to be most familiar with yeah like i could have a project a pmo come and implement itbm and tell me how the pmo world works but it's you can't just let anybody build your cmdb because so much relies on that in the middle yeah right yeah absolutely. I, I don't know why it took me that long to like realize but i should probably chop get up on my cmdb chops and, and you know the thing about the cmdb too right is that it's a logical representation of physical items but it's also a logical representation of logical items too. So, <laughs> so you, you, you get into some real nebulous territory when you start monkeying around with the CMDB and what you're trying to represent and how you're trying to represent it. Mm -hmm. So like I could go on and on about that, but I, I, I think ultimately the CMDB and, and even abstracting from the CMDB, just establishing those processes and charters and responsibilities up front are good practices for governing your instance and need to be thought about when you're thinking about doing the architecture. Yeah. And it's so, it's, it's so like close to the ingress document anyway, right? How does a project get into the system? Well, you can enter it via the project form or it can be a demand first. And so the ingress can make sure that you're doing your process homework as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, last point, we got to burn through this one quick, unfortunately, but we're thinking about tools that exist either in ServiceNow or in Share or elsewhere that can maybe help you that we didn't have back in the day. And so I'm going to start off with some of the Quebec stuff. Instant scan, gift from God. <laughs> <laughs> gift from God. Somebody at ServiceNow, whoever thought about that, deserves a cookie. <laughs> because Instant Scan lets it, it basically stores a library of checks consider these like your quote unquote, your best practices, right? Like, Love it. Hey, do you have a GS log uh, statement sitting in a business rule open? You know what I mean? Like, right. I don't want open GS logs ever live, but, yeah. but anyway, so it'd be like all these checks and th well, the cool thing is you can determine when those checks get fired and provide feedback. So if you're building a new system, it's not like wait for six months and see if this stuff survived 
right, rediscover the bad stuff you built new, you can basically say, as soon as you're done updating a business rule, run a point check against the check database and see if it violates any of the checks. So as you are building, or more likely as the team you're associated with is building, you could be catching bad practices straight away and accounting for them. Instant scan will take so much pain out of a re-architecture. Dude, like this is awesome. <laughs> like aside from the actual technical implementation of this right and getting all that data that that comes think of how much value that you're able now to communicate with these instant scans up the chain mm -hmm. right like i mean it's worth this weight in gold just right there i definitely need to dive into this one that's pretty awesome another one is the catalog builder that's new with quebec as well and it's a new interface that kind of does some arbitrage between the requester and the admin. So we can put more power into the hands of the requester, call it citizen developer light, if you will. But right. it basically presents them with a template. They can add more questions. They can answer questions about workflow. And then it takes more weight off of the person who's actually going to build the catalog items because you will build some catalog items in a re-architecture, probably oh, quite a few. So Catalog Builder can make that a lot faster. So this is essentially intake for catalog admins. Yeah, I mean, it, it blurs the lines because you could basically tell somebody, hey, use Catalog Builder and they could basically pick a template and say this, this, and this, get approval from here and then you're done. And the builder doesn't have to do anything. Oh, okay. Like it can it can be that thorough. Okay. So oh it's not necessarily, like I hesitate to call it a request because it's a good part of fulfillment of the catalog item build as well. It's beautiful. Nice. Yeah, I really got it, man. I, I am so behind on Quebec. I mean, what, hashtag last episode. So um, yeah. <laughs> I definitely got to get into this. Anything else, Duke? Yeah, I'd say one more item in Quebec is the is the roadmap feature uh, or what they call the alignment workspace. It's got a weird name for what it does. It's a road mapping feature. Um, <laughs> and that would be cool just as a way to like, hey, in the new system, you can be showing here's where you're fitting into the re-architecture and here's the re-architecture as a whole. I had so many conversations where it's like, well, why can't we be next? Or how come it's taking so long to get to us? And it's like, they didn't see that they were one of 23 and they right. were 13th in order, right? It just, but with the road mapping, you can kind of like everybody can get a, a single picture and they can get that picture whenever they want versus calling me or you all the time saying, when are we next? Every time I have a new conversation, that's another half hour off my day. So roadmap's yeah. going to be pretty handy for this as well you put this in the in our uh, show notes and um i, I took a, a brief look at it in, in the doc site and this looks pretty awesome i wish i had this level of organization um in, in my life <laughs> and and being able to democratize it too i think is a you know is a wonderful thing yeah. and i can definitely see how i, re I recall a, a quick a client that i had in the past and they basically rolled out a, a whole new instance in like 100 days. And one of the things that was central to that was communicating very thoroughly with the folks who were in line and where their place was and when they would be getting to them. So I can see how this tool would have actually helped them out a whole lot. Final thoughts, Corey? Ultimately, I think if you if doomsday strikes, right, you just got to be prepared for it. And hopefully, you know, we've given you some good tools to be prepared in case you ever have to do this. And hopefully some of this stuff is, you know, is helpful even in different set, uh, in different situations. Yeah, it's funny, you know, like none of this stuff would be bad for somebody to build even if they don't do a re-architecture, right? A good instance right. will only be better with an ingress document. A good instance will only be better with the catalog builder. A good instance will only be better with with development standards and and uh, vendor behavior standards and all that. 
So I guess if you put yourself in a posture of like one day we could be having a re-architecture could keep you from that day. <laughs> Very good point. Act as if you act as if you'll um, you'll be there soon and then maybe you never will. All right, folks, we are at time. Once again, thanks to our sponsor, DotWalk.io. Check them out in the description below. They take all the pain out of the most painful part of ServiceNow ATF deployments. Thanks again for listening, folks. All right, thanks, guys. Take care. All right, bye-bye.